You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. All right. Well, good morning. It's good to have you here today. Let's pray. Lord God, as we uh, seek you this morning, what's even more important is that you have sought us, and we thank you for that, that you sincerely, fully, completely have loved us and shown yourself to us. And we pray that you would open us up to that today. Holy Spirit, be working through um, your word today and um, use this time. We lift up to you, O Lord, many of our friends and family members who are confused, searching, wondering. We ask, Lord, that you would show your, the reality of your love to them through us, through others. Help us to, to know and be, um, well, convinced of your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that we're not alone here at Thrive by any means, but you have one church throughout this area, one holy Christian church we confessed in that creed. And we thank you, Lord, that um, there are many and many different uh, expressions around who are sharing your gospel word today. So we thank you, Lord, for them specifically. We thank you, Lord, for Zion and for hope. We thank you, Lord, for Gulf Coast Presbyterian and for Summit. And we lift up to you all the other campus ministries at FGCU as well that share your gospel word. May you have full reign in our hearts and lives, and may your one church grow and flourish across this nation and across this world. We lift up to you the church in Haiti as well. We know, Lord, that you are thriving there. You are working there through so many people. And we pray again for our team that they would just be a part of that and witness to it and share your love in meaningful ways. All this we praise you this day in your name, dear Jesus. Amen. So um, we're going to be looking at... um, and referencing a text from the book of Romans, a letter that Paul wrote to a church he actually never went to before this. He came there afterwards, but he kind of details out what it means and what the Christian life is all about, what this Jesus thing, if you want to put it that way, is talking about. And so we're going to look at Romans chapter 3, okay? And uh, we'll be reading now together. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins, It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So today we're looking at this myth. This is our last in the series. This myth, you've probably heard it. You might have even said it. You might still believe it. You probably have friends or others who believe it or say it. And that is simply this. It doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. Have you ever heard that one before? The word sincere. 
So we're going to look at that. And honestly, it sounds pretty good because let me tell you, we have gotten into an age and a time that I've never expected in my life where sincerity is more important than ever. Honesty, transparency, authenticity, because man, you can spin whatever you want. You know, I think it was Mark Twain who said there are statistics and there are lies, there are statistics, and you know, I mean, basically, you can use anything to spin, even the spin-free zones. Have you ever heard people talk about that? They are not spin-free zones. Let's be honest. Everybody's got their angle. Everybody's trying to push their agenda. And we've even gotten fake news that has become big-time stuff where we're pushing, really, not truth, but what I want you to believe, right? Now, the Christian church Probably, if there are people who look at the Christian church, they might say the same thing, I'm sorry to say, and they look at us and go like, yeah, well, that's your take on it, right? That's your take on it. We're going to look at that today and how important it is to be sincere. And we've basically said, in the end, even in our personal relationships, because of all the hypocrisy that we see, all the contradictions, all the falseness, all the facades, that sincerity is important. And at least if we get people to be honest, to be transparent, transparent, to be authentic, then at least we've gotten somewhere. So I understand why people want others to be sincere. I don't know if you know this, the word sincere comes from two Latin words, sine, which means without, and sera, where we get the word serum, but actually in Latin it means wax, without wax. And in Roman times, basically when You had a marble statue, like you see here, and there were cracks in it. They would come back in and put wax in the cracks to make it look perfect. And so sincere meant without wax, without flaws, perfect marble that was fine in itself. Do you get it? Question was, is sincerity enough? Are we sincere enough? Are we without flaws, without cracks, without that? Do we have to put on any facade at all? Can we be truly, if I just quote, pursue my own sincerity, is that enough? This week I heard a story by Craig Groeschel. He shared a reference to a, um, an Olympian, Matt Emmons. Matt Emmons in 2004 went to the Athen Games and he is a... Um, an Olympian who is a marksman. And going into, he was competing in the uh, three-position event where you lay on the, f- uh, on the ground and shoot at 50 meters away. You kneel and shoot, and you stand and shoot. And going into the last round, the last shot, he had the gold. He was so far ahead, all he needed was a mediocre shot to make it to get the gold. And so he settled himself, he lowered his rifle, he breathed slowly, he aimed, he pulled the trigger, bullseye. On the target next to the one he was supposed to hit. He ended up with a zero and eighth place. But he was sincere. He sincerely believed, he sincerely knew, right? And he was sincerely wrong. That's our type of sincerity. 
Have you ever been sincerely wrong? I recall um, in St. Louis in 1985, and so sad that that's well before many of you were born, um, I was at the seminary and um, I was driving, actually it was probably 1983, boy, even older. Yeah, I was driving back from my uncle and aunt's house in Kirkwood, Missouri to St. Louis to the seminary where I was going to school to become a pastor. And I got onto Big Ben Boulevard and I thought, great, I know exactly where I am. This is the first time I'm in the city. Do you realize back then, um, this was before GPS? Do you remember that, what that's like? No cell, we didn't have cell phone. I had a typewriter. That's how old it was. It was almost before com home personal computers, okay? The first Macintosh didn't even come out yet. So I'm driving back, and it's dark, and it's a, cloud, a cloudy night, no stars in the sky, couldn't orient myself with anything, and I'm on Big Ben Boulevard, and I go, like, I know where I am, because it goes right next to the seminary, Big Ben Boulevard, and it travels north and south next to the seminary. Guess what? You know why they call it Big Ben Boulevard? Because it makes a big bend. And I was on the east-west portion, thinking I was going north-south. I was sincerely wrong and sincerely lost. And like a guy, I didn't ask anybody. And so for an hour and a half, I'm driving around St. Louis and can't figure out where in the world I am. Now, we can laugh at sincerity and being sincerely wrong in those things, but sometimes it can get kind of dicey. For instance, if you sincerely believe you're taking a medication that's a pain reliever and it turns out to be a blood thinner instead, that can be dangerous or it could even be worse than that. It really does matter. Matt Emmons would say, being sincere is not enough to win a game. To win at the Olympics, you've got to accurately, you've got to be right as well. What's fascinating is in almost every, being sincere enough, I sincerely thought I had more money in my checking account, is not going to be a justification for bouncing a check, is it? It just doesn't work that way. So we realize sincerity, human sincerity, that can be flawed, that can have some cracks in it, that we still cover up in our lives, is not enough in everyday life. Why is it then? It's ironic in my opinion that in one of the most important, if not the most important thing, the search for truth, the search for the ultimate reason for living, meaning in life, why is it there of all places that we come up with the axiom in searching for God and knowing who God is? It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. Why there in the most important thing at all? It's kind of a non sequitur. It kind of doesn't make sense. And I think Ravi Zacharias, he's an apologist. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. He grew up um, in the Hindu religion but became a Christian. He put it well. He said this, To deem all beliefs equally true is sheer nonsense for the simple reason that to deny the statement would also then be true. But if the denial of the statement is also true, then all religions are not true. You just can't have it both ways, right? You can't say, yeah, it's true. You can believe whatever you want. It doesn't really matter. Well, then how can that be true? So in our culture today, what interests me, though, is have you ever noticed that spirituality and talk about God and a higher power are fine? 
Everybody's cool with that. In fact, at the end of a sporting event, if someone says, wow, I just want to thank God. God has given me. I want to give God all the glory. Everybody's happy with that. Everybody thinks that's wonderful that that person does that. Even tonight at the Oscars, if someone gets up and wins the award and says, I want to thank God for that, everybody's okay with that. Until you get to someone getting a little more specific where things get contentious is when the name Jesus comes up. Have you ever noticed that? All of a sudden, whoa, wait a minute, ooh. Well, we're going to talk about that today. It's fascinating because in one sense, everybody likes what Jesus had to say, at least some of what he said, how we love your enemies, do good to those, you, you know, the golden rule, forgive those who hurt you, how he helped the poor, how he was there for the marginalized. Nobody has a problem with that. They like Jesus is just all right with me. And no one, seriously, no historian, no matter their religious bent, whether it's from a totally secular, atheistic, agnostic, to a different religious worldview, no one questions the historicity of the person of Jesus. Everyone will say, of course he lived. There's just too much evidence against that. Suetonius, Tacitus, the Roman historians mention him. Josephus, the Jewish historian, said this. There was now, there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, for he was a doer of startling deeds, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure, and he gained a following both among many Jews and many of the Greek origin. Do you get this? Everybody says he's historical, he actually lived, we like what he has to say, at least some of it, but there's something about him that bugs many people. And it's the fact that he made exclusive claims about himself that trouble them. And well, they should. He claimed things, he did things, he said things that were controversial or pointed or actually exclusive in such a way that you just can't get around them. And those are the things that people really struggle with. He didn't just say nice stuff. He said some stuff about himself they just don't know what to do with. And so we're going to look at that. First of all, that Jesus said things that were shocking. I was uh, reading in the Gospel of Mark, this also occurs in a couple other Gospels, when Jesus was brought, a man who was paralyzed, um, four of his friends brought him, broke through the roof, brought him down in the midst of a huge crowd. The first thing that Jesus said, and I preached on this, it was just amazing. The first thing that Jesus said, he looked at him and said, my son, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders at that time were so shocked that he said it the way he said it, how unconditional, how upfront, how, how they said this. Why does he speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Because they knew what he was saying and how he was saying it. He was claiming something they did that bothered them. And we don't think much about blasphemy these days, okay? Blasphemy, taking the place of God, basically, um, taking the seat of judgment in place of God, kind of pushing him off to the side in some way. 
That's what they were saying Jesus was doing. And in Jesus' day, it was serious. It was deadly serious. There was a stoning coming if you did it, okay? And um, more than once in the Gospels, we see Jesus getting to the edge of being stoned over the things that he said or pushed off a cliff by his own fellow Nazarites, people from Nazareth, because they didn't like what he said because he was so exclusive and he said things that were so at the edge of taking the place of God. They couldn't handle it. Secondly, Jesus claimed things no one else would dare. Okay? A lot of people say he's a wonderful teacher. Well, look at what he taught. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. What kind of teacher teaches that? (laughs) Holy cow, that is just amazing. He's saying the most important relationship in life is to me, not to your parents, not to your children. How dare he say that? He didn't just stop there. It wasn't just one and done. He said things like, instead of this is the way and follow it, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Whoa. Okay? He would say, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'm the one who can do that. And thirdly, Jesus did things that claimed authority like no other. One of the best examples is the fact he went to the holiest place known to the Jewish faith at that time, the temple. He walks into the temple and he cleans house. He acts like he owns the place and it shocks them all. And he cries out, it is written, my house, notice my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And you've made it a robber's den. What audacity to do that. And then in the gospel of John, it says, he says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews said, wait a minute, it took us how many years to build this place? And he said, he was speaking about the temple of his body, the disciples said. And guess what? He is saying, I'm the temple. This building is not even that important. Do you understand how radical that was in Jesus' day? So he took the place of things. He took the place of bread. He said, I am the bread of life. He took the place of water. He said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of him will flow waters, a living waters. He took the place of life itself. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. So you can do a comparative religion study if you want, and I've done that in different classes, and I think it's very important. It's really good stuff to know what other people believe in all the religions, how they understand human nature, what they think about God or the divine in the afterlife, whether there is one or not, how to get there and the methods and techniques. You can do all of that and study all the world religions, but it really comes down to the fact that you will find sincerity across the board in all of them, at least human sincerity to the point as, as humanly sincere we can be. But there's cracks in us all. There's flaws in every one of us, and sincerity is not enough. Ravi Zacharias talks about this, and I think this is really good. He says this, They are teachers, these religious leaders, who point to their teaching 
or show some particular way. In all of these, there emerges an instruction, a way of living. It is not Zoroaster to whom you turn. It is to Zoroaster to whom you listen. It is not Buddha who delivers you. It is his noble truths that instruct you. It is not Muhammad who transforms you. It is the beauty of the Quran that woos you. By contrast, Jesus did not only teach or expound his message. He was identical with his message. In him, the scriptures say, dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He did not just proclaim the truth. He said, I am the truth. He did not just show a way. He said, I am the way. He did not just open up vistas. He said, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection of the life. I am the I am. In him is not just an offer of life's bread. He is the bread. That is why being a Christian is not just a way of feeding and living. Following Christ begins with a way of relating and being that is trusting and following. And I think that's what bothers a lot of people about Jesus because every time you talk about him, he is confronting you with the reality. Do you believe me? Do you trust me? Will you follow me or not? There's not a neutral ground. I'm not standing in a place where I can go, hmm, do I like this or not? Well, you know, let me inspect this. I'm not a, I am the one under God's microscope when Jesus comes into the picture. And I don't like that. C.S. Lewis said it well, too. When you kind of look all of this, you have to come down to this. What do you do with Jesus? You can look at all the world religions, you can talk about all the different methods, but what do you do with Jesus? And this is what he wrote in Mere Christianity. I'm trying to prevent here anyone saying that really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level that a man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. No. Like I said, you don't find people coming up to Jesus, hearing what he had to say and going, well, that is an interesting point of view. Let me put that into my perspective and I'll think about that. I like this aspect, I'm gonna throw that away. No, they either came to Jesus and they looked at him and said he has a demon, as the religious people said, or they came to Jesus like some of his family and said, he's nuts we got to take him home. Or they may have come to Jesus as we see in John 6 and they hear him say, I am the bread of life. And they say, that's too hard. We're walking away. We've got to reject him. Or they come to Jesus and they say what Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. They fall down on their knees and worship him. That's it. He's either worth everything or nothing at all. There's no in-between. 
And really, when we talk about sincerity, it's really, is he sincerely right or was he sincerely wrong? Someone who thought he was totally sincere to the point of zealous was a man named Saul of Tarsus. And he saw this Jesus movement this way as a heterodox, that's another word of saying skewed, wrong, messed up. And he thought the best thing he can do is persecute this and rid the world of this false teaching called the way following this Messiah, Jesus. And he put his whole heart and soul into it and talk about it. He said this in Philippians, about his own sincerity at the time. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul thought he had it all together. He knew it. He had it down. This was right. And then he met Jesus. And he realized how flawed his sincerity was. He says now, what I thought was gain, I consider garbage to know Jesus and to be found in him and to have a righteousness not my own but his. Now we use that word righteousness in church a lot and we kind of like, what does righteousness mean? Well, it means what it's being right, which I like to be, and I'm not. So where do I find that? Um, Being accepted, being judged, justified, right, innocent, whole, complete, or I think the better word may be sincere, without flaw, without having to cover over, without having to fill in the gap in my life. And Paul said he tried that and he found no matter how sincere he was, no matter how hard he worked at it, it was never enough. He practiced all the methods. He prayed all the time. He did all the rules. He did all the sacrifices. He was the most zealous. I will never even be close to having the willpower that Paul had in his life. But it was exhausting and it was never enough. And he always knew he was going to be judged. He was always being questioned. He was always going to be examined. And he knew he had to even then fake it. You can find out that the Pharisees, when they looked at themselves, sometimes they felt great because they were so good and sometimes they realized and they despaired over their own lives because they could see the flaws in their own lives, that they were not whole, that they were not complete, that they didn't have their act together, but they covered it over and tried to look good and good enough. Maybe that's where you're at. We're all there. And Paul says it's garbage. Let go of it. There's only one who's sincere and sincere enough. That's what it says in Romans chapter 3. What he's really talking about is, here's the one who's sincere. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. 
the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus for all who believe. And again, it says that we are justified by a free gift of his grace. This is good news, not just good advice. That's the difference. Good news, not just good advice. Because it's Jesus Christ alone who is sincere in my place. Jesus Christ alone who does it all, who is complete in himself. Jesus Christ alone, it's pure gift. It's not Jesus Christ plus any, it's Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing. It's not Jesus Christ plus church membership. It's not Jesus Christ plus religion. It's not Jesus Christ plus a denomination. It's not Jesus Christ plus this church. It's not Jesus Christ plus baptism. It's not Jesus Christ plus following certain rules or regulations. It's not even Jesus Christ plus getting your act together. It is not Jesus Christ plus anything. It is Jesus Christ alone. And in him, we have what's called the propitiation. That's that wonderful word, that covering, that purity that he covers up so that we are then flawless. Flawless, perfect, whole. You know, all the other world religions, all world religions have good advice. They have good truth. But they don't have good news necessarily. They don't have saving truth. We call this the difference between law and gospel. They're all methods. They're all attempts. They're all do this, do that, do this, do that. And always the question is about your performance and whether you've done enough, you could do enough, that you're sincere enough, if you've got your act together. So it's all really spelled out in the end. Religion is spelled D-O. Do. Are you doing it? Do it more, do it harder, do it better, do it with more motivation, more passion, more sincerity. Did you do enough? Are you following the four noble truths enough? Are you following the five pillars enough? Are you um, practicing this enough? Are you doing that enough? Even for, uh, for Paul, who had the truth laid out in him in the law, he looked at it and all he could see is D-O. Did I do enough? Am I doing it enough? Am I following the Ten Commandments enough? And finally, he gave up on all that and said, it is rubbish. I will never do enough. I will never be sincere enough. The gospel The good news of Jesus is spelled D-O-N-E, done, complete. Jesus hanging on the cross for you, being that propitiation, the, the covering for you, cries out, it is done, complete, finished, paid in full. There is nothing more to do, nothing to add to what he has done. So today, I'm not asking you, and I don't think you should ever ask your friends to consider our church, per se. Not at all. And not considering a denomination. Not even considering Christianity as a religion and comparing it to other religions. Because Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He came to show the love of God, to share his kingdom, and to be our savior. 
So I'm, and also, I'm not asking you to consider how Christians live and how well they live. Don't consider, because you will find some Christians that are, wow, they seem so sincere. They've got their act together. They seem to, you know, they're very humble and nice and wonderful and open. And, and you'll find another Christian who is like, wow, that person's kind of a jerk and they're judgmental, etc. That's not, and don't even consider me. It's not about me because, hey, you might not like my personality. You know, it's like, ooh, you know, he's kind of snarky. And then other people will say, wow, I really like him. But then you get to know me a little longer and you'll find the cracks and flaws in my life. And then all of a sudden I disappoint you. It's not about that. The only, it's about Jesus. The only one to consider is him. We all have flaws. When people say, hey, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere, they don't realize that (laughs) no one is really sincere without cracks or flaws. And no one can be really sincere without cracks or flaws. We all cover up. But Jesus. Look to Jesus. This is, that's what we're talking about today. Not a religion, not a denomination, not a pastor, not a method, not an organization, not a system, not a doctrine, but a person, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a place like this where we can explore questions, not just here, but in our home huddles. We can open up and let people see our flaws, see the cracks in our lives, and know that your perfection that covers us. In a culture that says it doesn't matter what we believe as long as we're sincere, we're smart enough to recognize, Lord, (laughs) there's no way that works. It's not enough. Our sincerity, as good as it is, can be mistaken, still has flaws and cracks. But we thank you, Lord, for Jesus. Lord, you've called us again to a point of decision. Lord Jesus, you've called us once again to either reject you and say you were nuts, dismiss you and say, no way, deny you and say you're demonic, or fall on our knees and trust you and respond by saying you have all of us. That's what we do right now, Lord. We come to you once again and recognize, Lord, to whom could we ever go because you are eternal life. In your name we pray, amen.